The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. For regular listeners to this program, one question must come up again and again. Do you have to die in order to have a near-death experience? Many of you have noted, no doubt, that the near-death experiences reported on this show include folks who declare boldly, I wasn't near-dead, I was completely dead. No breath, no heartbeat, no sign of life. We should rename it a death experience. Meanwhile, others seem to report experiences as profound and long-lasting as the life-threatening ones during natural life activities such as giving birth or even slipping into a state of depression. And today, people can even take classes on how to leave their bodies, the first step in any NDE. Today's guests, Robert and Suzanne Mays, have studied the phenomena related to near-death experiences together for over 35 years, although neither has personally had a near-death experience. Their research focuses on the phenomena connected with the out-of-body component of NDEs, especially veridical that is, evidence-backed perceptions during an NDE, neurological phenomena demonstrating the operation of the non-material mind with a focus on memory formation and recall, verification and corroboration of specific cases of veridical perceptions in an NDE, and finally, experiments on interactions of the human bioenergy field. Together, they recently authored an article titled Explaining Near-Death Experiences, Physical or Non-Physical Causation, which appeared in the spring 2015 issue of IAN's Journal of Near-Death Studies. And an earlier interview with Robert can be heard on the December 9th, 2013 edition of NDE Radio. Robert and Suzanne, welcome back to NDE Radio. Thank you, Lee. Good morning, Lee. Good, Good to have you here. Well, tell us, do we have to come close to death or actually die to have an NDE? Uh, actually not. Uh, the, there was a study that uh, came out in 2014 um, uh, from the lab of Stephen Loris in Belgium, uh, University of Liège, uh, that uh, compared uh, near-death-like experiences to uh, experiences which were really close to death. People were in coma uh, from cardiac arrest or drowning, uh, trauma, um, or severe disease. And um, and the near-death-like experiencers had had their experience uh, during, uh, for example, meditation, sleep, um, fainting, um, or drug or alcohol use. And uh, and surprisingly, uh, the uh, investigators found that there was no difference in the experiences, neither in the intensity of the overall intensity of the experience, nor in the uh, elements that were um, reported in the experience. There's no statistical difference. Uh, you can't tell from the uh, NDE scale, the Grayson scale. Uh, whether this uh, person had was had an NDE uh, during sleep mm-hmm. or uh, in uh, after a cardiac arrest or during a cardiac arrest, so uh, there is no uh, there really is no difference. 
So it wouldn't necessarily even involve the alteration of the of the brain's normal workings. That's certainly what it implies. Yes. Although you know something like a grand mal seizure or even sleep or meditation can change to change the brain to some extent, but not a, a, a not right. not as much as actually dying would. Well, how yeah, well, how would invo- go ahead? We uh, we uh, postulate that there is uh, a, a common altered state of consciousness in the near death experience, and that must result from some common cause, proximate cause, what we call proximate cause. In other words, mm-hmm. there can be a lot of triggers, or even no trigger, no apparent trigger. It could be completely spontaneous, apparently. And and yet you end up in a this altered state of consciousness of the near death experience, and there must be because it's, there's there's a complete commonality, regardless of what happened prior. Uh, there has to be some sort of common proximate cause. Now, the common understanding is that when an NDE occurs, the mind, or some would call it the soul or spirit of the person, actually departs the body. Um, how involved is the mind, soul, slash soul, I guess, as differentiated from the brain? How, how involved is it in our day-to-day lives, would you say? <laughs> well, uh, we, we have a view that uh, the human being is a mind that is non-physical, uh, non-material, and uh, which is united with the brain. So uh, because we're conscious, we have a mind, and it's, it's non-material, but it's un- ordinarily united with the brain. So in our view, that is, uh, it, it, if you're conscious, you, your mind is operating. Hmm. Uh, in a recent edition of uh, National Public Radio's show on being, they were marveling at how intuitive babies are in picking up on language structure. And I was thinking, as I listened to it, could the mind be tapping into a collective unconscious to aid in that process for a, for a baby or young child? Yeah, I, well, there is... Um, yeah, so how, how does the mind work with the physical brain is, yes. uh, is the enigma. Uh, and um, and we're teasing that apart right now in our uh, research on memory. Um, how does memory work when with a non-material mind and a, and the brain? And, and of course, memory is positive as being encoded in the brain. And we feel that uh, because memory is operating and memories form out of the body in the near-death experience that memories are uh, encoded in the mind, are actually formed in the mind. It's not really an encoding. And, uh, and then they are recalled from the mind. Well, also there's this question of where, where, do, where do we get our ideas? Uh, where do we, how do we come to recognize something as, you know, when we see something as, that's the person I know or uh, that's a book? And... Um, and and that also is coming to us intuitively. We feel mm. so. Babies are learning uh, partly through their uh, you know learning language through their exposure to the language and their sensitization to the sounds of the language, but also the concepts of the language are there intuitively to to all of us and and including to babies. Mm. So, 
Lee, to go back to your original question <clears throat> yes. about the, the, the necessity for, or how does the mind work with the brain and, and, our, and how do we experience that in our everyday lives? Well, the, this, the spiritual aspect or this invisible, um, non-material aspect of our being, our consciousness, needs to be fitted into a physical vessel, the brain and the body, in order for there to be this mirroring back, this reflection. In other words, we have to have a body and the brain and the nervous system to be conscious in this physical reality that we are born into. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, this brain and the, and the functions in it are reflecting activity. It's absolutely needed, but the, the mind... Our consciousness is also something that can loosen from that constriction of and limiting aspect of this mirroring capacity of the body, of, of, of the brain that is matter. I just the, uh, wanted, the interesting I thing to, it, go, go ahead. I, I just wanted to emphasize the fact that, that even though we are more essentially and truly spiritual beings, we absolutely have to have this relationship to the physical nature of our bodies for consciousness in this earthly realm. Now, I I was thinking one of the interesting things about that is that after a near-death experience, the fit seems to be a little different between the brain and the mind. Yep, it's thinned out, it's loosened. Yeah. It isn't as tightly interconnected as mm. this non-material and material aspect of our being. And, and that's where the after effects come in, uh, uh, where you have this uh, ener- different energy uh, field around you, uh, where there's all kinds of electrical things that might go wrong, and you are more sensitive, and you are more uh, uh, intuitive and and, and even have psychic abilities, uh, precognitive uh, abilities, uh, even psychokinesis. So there's all kinds of uh, things that have changed because of this difference. Once you come back from a near-death experience, this difference in in the um, relationship of the energetic mind to the physical body. Mm. As uh, to go back for a second to the the question of memory. Uh, as the brain is impaired by old age with dementia, Alzheimer's or whatever, do you think the mind could be encouraged to intercede and to take over some of the jobs of the brain? Uh, yes. Uh, it, it's hard for, I think for most people, that's hard to do. In other words, uh, when we are incarnated into a physical body, our mind is really very much m- melded with, uh, united with the brain. And uh, uh, only at the time of death do we see these, this phenomena, usually. There are some other cases, too. But usually only at the time of death do we have these cases of terminal lucidity where uh, apparently, uh, this is our, our take on what's happening, uh, uh, the mind loosens enough from the physical brain to operate, that you can still, the, the person can still speak, but now their memory returns, 
and um, and they become totally lucid. Whereas if they were suffering from Alzheimer's or uh, schizophrenia and, and hadn't talked uh, uh, for decades and hadn't recognized anybody for decades, all of a sudden they come back to themselves, and uh, and this is just before death, and and they are lucid. Their memories there. Uh, their emotions are there, they have a connection with their uh, family again, and then within, usually within a day or so, they, they have died. I, I wonder if someone who diagnosed with uh, early Alzheimer's could take uh, OBE training and thereby forestall or, or broaden their, uh, their, um, their memory banks, as it were. Yeah, that's that's re- a really interesting uh, idea. I think that would be worth pursuing. I, I would not have an idea with whether that would help, but uh, <laughs> it's certainly worth trying. Uh, let me try a more philosophical question here. Can, can the mind or mind slash soul and the brain have different perceptions, values, and interests? Um, for instance, can the brain love, or is that an aspect only of the mind? Mm. No. <laughs> I think there's just one person in there, <laughs> your, your mind. Uh, uh, but but the, uh, there is an interesting um, aspect of the uh, life force in, in the physical body that is, which is actually inherited from the parents, particularly the mother. Um, there is, uh, which we feel is, is somewhat different than the soul the mind. And so there can be uh, these cases where uh, the physical body, um, the person doesn't feel that they fit in the physical body uh, uh, that they've inherited, essentially, uh, that they've incarnated in. And, mm. uh, and, and of course, there are also these cases of uh, when there's been a transplant of a, an organ, like the heart, particularly, uh, there are aspects of the donor um, of that organ uh, which seem to be incorporated in, into the person all of a sudden. And that's also very interesting, which we feel is this connect, energetic connection of the physical organ, the physical body, um, uh, as opposed to, you know, the, the person, the what Frankel, call, Frankel calls the... Uh, noetic person. Mm. It's the soul. We're told the heart has uh, thinking capacities as well. Um, and it, it's, you know, usually when people outside of the NDE field talk about these things, they talk about a split between the brain and the heart. Um, how does the heart fit into the equation? Well, I think that, that the mind works throughout the whole body. And, um, and particularly people who have um, had a near-death experience, they, they seem to have this um, connection with the heart um, much more strongly than a lot of people who are in, in our heads. Um, and so there, there is this, uh, I think it's still a soul expression through the heart, through, you know, other aspects of your being than just your head, just your intellect. Have you encountered stories where a transplanted heart, for instance, has caused uh, some sort of uh, 
psychological problem for the for the person receiving it? Uh, we have not really studied that in detail to say, other than you know the the you know just glossing on the uh, this the phenomena that we've heard of, but not studied in depth. Uh, which uh, phenomenologically would be extremely is extremely interesting, uh, but we don't. I, I don't think we have any any uh, idea about that yet. Okay. Now Suzanne was talking about how the mind and the body and the brain, rather, the mind and the brain fit together. So, how does the mind, which experiences a near death, uh, communicate that information to the brain? How does the brain suddenly? know how to articulate that experience of the mind to others, for instance, on NDE radio. Yeah. They have a hard time articulating. It's ineffable. <laughs> it's ineffable, right? So we try as much as we can with our human language and our human experience in this body. But it's I, know so th- I know they always say there are no words, to ex- no words to express what I went through, and then they can talk for, for hours about it or yeah. even write books about it. Right. Well, that you know, there is this. Um, it, it seems that we're studying this uh, 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 phenomenon that has come out uh, from uh, Ariana Palmieri is a, a researcher in, in her group in, in um, Italy. Um, uh, have done studies of the memory of memories of near-death experiences when they are remembering their near-death experience have a different EEG pattern than when they are remembering real events uh, uh. in their life and also uh, compared to controls who are remembering real events. In, the, in other words, NDE, NDE memories there's, are real memories. Uh, they have the characteristics of real memories. But when they are remembering them, and this is why we're getting into memory, uh, when they are remembering them, there's a different EEG pattern, uh, theta and delta waves, uh, which are not present when, when they or when the controls are remembering real events. And so uh, uh, even though the memory characteristics are the same, there is a different kind of recall, and we feel that that's because uh, what they are doing is, and, and this is our observation too, although we need to do some more investigation, but it seems to be that they are, when an NDE is really recalling their NDE, they go into an altered state of consciousness. They kind of relive the experience. But their, that experience was not in their body. That was out of the body. And, and so they kind of go into this altered state of consciousness uh, kind of going back to that state of mm. being out of the body and and experiencing those things and and if you if you observe and listen to Andy ears uh, who really get into their describing their near death experience they do kind of go into this state. Also, the, this this investigation is is pointing out that there are two levels of memory. There's our everyday lamp memory which has different kind of brain waves, um, and, and those are tied to the, the time and space contingent that we're living in in the physical body. There's another kind of memory that has these very slow brain waves, which is an, a memory that's tapped into something that's out time, outside of time and space, the physical environment aspect that we live in in our everyday 
normal consciousness. So that's another kind of signpost that there are two dimensions, two dimensions to the human being. We have our physical vessel, and then we have a soul and spiritual organism that we live in, and how to become conscious in both at the same time, and how to develop both kinds of memories, both kinds of consciousness. And to answer your question, how does the mind, you know, work with the brain? Actually, there, it's, it's a hand-in-glove kind of situation, yeah. so that the, the hand is moving the glove, the glove is the brain functions. But what's behind it is is uh, is the mind, and they are united. So uh, when you have a conscious experience, you have to have your brain operating. In, when you're in ordinary <laughs> awareness in your body, you have to have your brain there to be conscious of anything. So even your own thoughts, even your memories, have to have to have some sort of um, evocation of brain activity for you to be conscious even of your memories and uh, of your thoughts. And so so it, it, that's why this is such an enigma of, of how, to, how to tease apart the neurological processes and the uh, subjective uh, experiences because they are so tied together. And, and that's why a lot of physicalists, uh, reductionist uh, scientists, think that there's no question that the brain produces consciousness because look at all of the correlates. Well, of course they're correlated because you can't be conscious unless you have the brain operating. Right. Well, there's a, there is an interesting um, uh, set of experiments I think were done with mice where they found that um, memory wasn't stored in any particular part of the brain but was seemed to be throughout the brain so that the mice could then run mazes whether they'd had certain parts of their brain eliminated or not. Right. And uh, and then you've also got people who talk about a God spot in the brain, <laughs> which responds to, it, sa- it sounds like from what they say, that it would be more receptive to prod- uh, promptings from the mind. Is right. there some I way to tie that together? Yeah, I don't think that that exists. Uh, uh, although, you know, because because... Basically, uh, the, even the materialist uh, uh, scientists are saying that there is no seat of consciousness in the brain. Uh, and, and there certainly isn't for memories. Um, there are organs, the hippocampus, the hippocampi are structures in the, in the immediate, what's called the medial temporal lobe, lobes, um, on the inside of the brain at the bottom, uh, which facilitate the formation of episodic memories. But beyond that, then memories are accessible uh, throughout the brain. And, and, and they, and, you know, so that's, that's the conclusion of, uh, you know, ordinary neuroscience. Mm. In our December 2013 interview on this show, Robert, um, you asked the question, how can the electrical impulses of the brain turn into our subjective perceptions of the world? And uh, you went on to suggest, I think, that consciousness is an entity. Right. Um, is the mind the seat of consciousness? Is it somewhere outside of both the mind and the brain? And maybe both are tapping into a, 
collective unconscious that's some out there somewhere? Well, the okay. Well, we can talk about local and non-local uh, consciousness. Uh, the mind is uh, the seat of uh, our individual consciousness, and we feel that from the phenomenology of the of the uh, NDEs uh, it, that consciousness. Um, that the reality is that uh, we are individualized uh, spiritual beings or non-physical beings. And, um, and so uh, our consciousness, even, even out of the body, is localized, uh, as opposed to the uh, notion that consciousness is non-local. And, um, and we make this point in the paper that uh, the phenomenology of near-death experiences is that where, you know, your consciousness is in a particular location or at a particular level in these transcendent realms and, and is in a particular time, in quotes, but that, that those realms are beyond space and time the way we ordinarily think of it. Um, and so one can have access, even though one is an individualized being, one has access to consciousness uh, in the future of the future and consciousness of the past and consciousness any, anywhere. Uh, and one can travel anywhere. Uh, and so, so that's, uh, you know, that's our view of it. It is not like there's, um, you know, that we are individualized only because we are incarnated in a physical body, but we are individualized even afterwards and uh, after we transition to... Uh, to the spiritual realms. Mm. And that's what the NDEs uh, point out as well. What sort of walls do you suppose are laid up to keep us from having that higher consciousness on a regular basis? <laughs> that's the challenge that we have set ourselves, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that brings you to the philosophical question. Why are we incarnated? What's the reason for having a life on Earth that's filled with all kinds of tribulations and all kinds of hard, painful, suffering lessons. Why? Mm. And there is. I mean, I don't know if you want to get into the philosophical reason, but it is tied up with this developing of of the individuality and why it is that we also firmly are are so convinced that that there is this this localized consciousness of the mind individualized mind mm-hmm. that is not spread out into the whole universe and we're tapped into a collective soup of, of awareness but that we are developing as individuals spiritually and that we need the earthly experience being in the body to develop to develop that and to develop you asked this question earlier about the heart to freely choose love we're here to, to learn that the whole, that the highest fruit of earth is love. And in a way, we ate of the tree of knowledge way back when we were in paradise and we went through the experience of the fall. And now it's a matter of us coming to eating of the tree of life again and and finding out that we are beings of love, but we freely choose it, and, and, and in the process of that freedom also become 
a new kind of spiritual being in the spiritual world. Mm. We can freely, we have chosen freely to be love beings, whereas all the other hierarchical beings in the heavenly realms, they're, they're more or less, are automatically love beings. They have not had to go through what we are going through in this school of life here on earth. Could our minds be the could our minds be the uh, Jiminy Cricket, the uh, conscience of our brains? Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Conscience is a, is a faculty of the mind. Absolutely. Robert and Suzanne, uh, how how can uh, listeners uh, find your website? Uh, the website is selfconsciousmind.com. That's all one word: selfconsciousmind. Com. Very good. Are there any uh, YouTube uh, sites that you uh, would recommend? Well, I'd recommend <laughs> I'd recommend the IN's web uh, YouTube site, uh, uh, and a lot of our uh, presentations are on the IN's uh, IN's videos uh, uh, channel. Uh, it's uh, YouTube dot com slash ians videos and uh, there's yeah that's the one that I would recommend in terms of uh, you know a lot of information about near death experiences very good well thank you Robert and Suzanne um, for a fascinating show today um, if the listeners would like to uh, listen to this again or any of our past shows just um, go to our website at nderadio.org and for more information about the work of IANS and our upcoming conference in Orlando, Florida in July, check out that uh, website again, IANDS.org, and tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>